0: Sorry, guys. I was scrounging food. Apparently, my parents don't eat anymore. <laughs> even even though we're well, they didn't stock in- up the house because
2: they knew you were coming. What the fuck, man? Mom, where's the Sunny D? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you definitely are dressed for a Sunny D commercial in your baseball cap.
1: Mom, all Mom. we got is purple stuff.
2: Did <laughs> <laughs> I get a doctor to look at this purple stuff, Mom? <laughs>
0: Oh my God. Oh, actually, my dad's um, just getting out of a tiny hernia surgery. So, oh, oh
1: they'll no,
0: be, they'll be home any minute now and he's going to be grumpier than usual. <laughs> and,
1: and the thing about a hernia surgery is it hurts to laugh. So, you have to be like just deadpan the entire rest of the week. Like, just no, you know, keep him away from any sort of funny ben, video benny hill just benny. some <laughs> old
2: benny hill ben, no yucks benny prescribed H- by a doctor zero yucks
1: one episode of benny hill and his stomach could just come flying open <laughs>
0: Well, welcome
2: to Sidework Podcast, you guys. I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. And I'm your other host, Brooke Van Poplin. And uh, joining us, like, through the whole episode today, our old dear friend, James Dunn, is back. Thanks for having me back, gals. This is a
1: treat and a treasure.
0: Oh yeah um, How have you been pandemicking bud It's been a few months And I don't like it I
1: I, I know <laughs> Well me personally I have exited the Keith Richards phase Of my Um <laughs> Of my pandemic, I'm trying to
0: think what that means. That a one that I'm told myself I'm going to exit as soon as I get home this
1: week. You know, just
0: <laughs> party
1: all day, baby. Yes, I, I. The beginning of the pandemic for me was cigarettes and sweet, sweet booze a haul. And in the past two months of pandemic, I have quit smoking. I haven't had a cigarette in wow, Woo-hoo. almost two and a half months.
0: Okay, so I heard you went on that journey, and this is really exciting, two and a half months, this is like the longest you've gotten,
1: really It, it totally has, since I was like 18, or 16 really, but for like, wow. smoking, smoking as though it was my job started when I was 18 And I'm still having the occasional cocktail, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not living like every day is a luau like I was Right It's know? not
2: Not every day's a snow day anymore
1: Exactly Exactly
0: <laughs> know. Con- Considering it's almost August
1: <laughs> But Yeah Oh my god I know I, I have a bike I've been riding a bike Going for more walks Trying to You know I've reached the I'm not gonna live forever stage So So that's where nice. I am Yes
2: Yeah How's Michigan, Brooke? How is How's Michigan treating you?
0: You know Um We were up at the lake for, I stayed for five full days and nights. My parents left a few days before I did. We took separate cars and I just, I don't know what kind of mental toll (laughs) this pandemic has taken on me. All I know is I stared at a lake unblinking for three days. (laughs) I just looked into the water and just was, I was one with the waves and it was okay, you know? It was fine.
1: I saw some of your photos. It looked idyllic. It looked, it, it that lake looked like one giant Xanax.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I don't know how to put it other than I think around, yeah, day five of being home, I just kind of looked at my parents and I was like, I haven't had anxiety once. You know, and it just it felt really great. We made some, you know, decent meals. We picked up, you know, curbside from some restaurants. But you know, it's 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 very interesting being in another state, seeing, you know, it's like a northern Michigan lake town where it's not the same as hotspot central, you know, Los Angeles where like we're treating each other like it's a zombie apocalypse and everyone's just like out in their boats just like hey Rabbi how you doing yeah we're just gonna cruise around the lake in the pontoon you know and everybody's got their space just like their bis- dot business as usual, just business, business huge. as usual, you know but everyone's pretty nice and the mask mandate in Michigan you know was passed and if you're gonna go in a store or a restaurant anywhere indoors you gotta wear a mask and all the Michigan people were okay yep
1: no problem we're not worried about the pandemic. The only thing we have to worry about is the lake beast. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. Which, like, yep. Brooke, did you make love to the lake beast? I, I have, like, a feeling in your head. If you're just staring at a lake for three days, I imagine at one point a, a water man is going to come out in your mind and you're going to bone right there on shore. Yeah. It, actually,
0: actually, it's just a sea-like water um, erect penis that just oh. comes <laughs> out of the lake. Hello. But you know what? Speaking of lake beast, we should jump into some headlines. Oh, let's do it. Even though (laughs) this is not a lake. I know the difference. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Um, All right. So very (laughs) exciting news in Ohio. A rare blue lobster was delivered with all of the red lobsters to a local... Red lobster Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio uh the restaurant chain was unpacking uh, all their lobsters they were gonna throw in the tank and they found incredibly rare blue lobster and the hero service staff person named Laura Jones it was her it was her special discovery and she did the right thing first of all, she got like a guard detail you know like secret service like nobody let this blue blue uh lobster out of your sight and <laughs> We're like, we're not cooking this and sending it out. First of all, could you imagine like Red Lobster patrons getting a blue lobster and be like, this this lobster's fucked up. <laughs> I'm not going to eat this fucking lobster. Um, what's with this lobster? It's blue. <laughs> what is this? What is it? What is this? 5G lobster? <laughs> <laughs> um, but she did the right thing. She knew how rare it was because bitch knows lobsters. You know what I'm saying? And she immediately called the Akron the Akron, Ohio Zoo Animal Care, um, and basically was like, this is where this is like one out of a million lobsters is blue like this, wow. and so this lady is like, she's like Annie Potts in Ghostbusters when they get that first we, call, she's like, we
1: got, got one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, talk about like a sign of hope, like, like was everyone like? Oh my God, the chosen one has arrived. The myths are true. you know the blue lobster cometh. Um, you're leaving I, you out know. the
1: biggest part of the article. The lobster could talk and think like a human person.
0: <laughs> it actually it was weird I had a little cell phone. He's like, here I have the phone number for the Akron Zoo. Call it and it was a his fucking buddy with an escape vehicle. <laughs> I'd say it was a she. this is a lady lobster.
1: The whole time I read this, I was like, blue lobster. That kind of sounds like, I don't know, a cousin to a Cleveland steamer. Like it,
2: Yeah, right. It sounds just like a, lo- a red lobster that just is like, go fuck your mother.
0: <laughs> nice tits. Do <laughs> <laughs> hey, you mind if I give those titties a little pinch? Just a little pince pince. <laughs> that lobster That's has gone blue.
2: I cannot handle this blue lobster.
0: We're leaving. <laughs> Two stars. This is such a great headline, though. It's such a it's a good good little fun moment of hope. Service workers being heroes. And I misspoke. It's a one in 200 million lobster chance. That's how rare these guys are. And I love that the service worker at Red Lobster knew to call someone. But she was like, call the FBI, you know, and she got on it. They named this lobster Claude. And, uh, you know, Uh I know, right? Isn't it pretty good? And and the lobster was spared a butter-smothered end. I mean, can you imagine if this endangered species, like, just went out with somebody's fried scampi basket? (laughs) They were just like, nah, I'm mostly here for the cheddar biscuits. Okay, our next headline. This is great. I just adore this so much. Um, So, basically, in New York State, Governor Cuomo has allowed (laughs) bars to open again. But much like pre-prohibition times, the only way a viable drinking establishment can reopen its doors is by having menu offerings. Okay? So... Out of nowhere now You know it's like hey you want to go back to business Sure suddenly provide something that was Never ever a part of Your service to begin with But the workarounds and the menus Are freaking hilarious The bars are rolling out Dollar menus which is like Four chips on a plate For a buck
1: <laughs> <laughs> One of them was Handful of croutons One dollar <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know It was like Whatever you can find in my pocket, fifty cents. Fistful of old cough drops. so right so the workaround so it's like you know how a bar bar will have that little wall you know behind with like the little single serve bag of pretzels or the salt and vinegar chips that doesn't count for it to be a menu item it has to be on a menu and a chip or a cracker has to be served with an with an accompanying dip to be qualified (laughs) as a menu item so the the um the menus are getting really, really, very creative, and this is happening actually across the pond in England as well. So, uh, for a dollar, you can get one small boneless chicken wing—just one wing—with a choice of sauce. Doesn't really say what. It's probably not going to come. It's it's just on the menu to follow right. the rules. Uh, and the smallest milkshake in Liverpool—it <laughs> just says. <laughs> It just says, no, really, the smallest milkshake you will ever see. I'm just picturing <laughs> a thimble full of whipped cream. It's all these But uh, this is amazing because, you know, and, you know, people are laughing and balking, kind of be like, how dare you serve one slice of deli meat on a plate? But they're like, what are we supposed to do? We were never a food and dining establishment. We're just following the law. You didn't say it had to be good food or viable or normal. normal. I I love it when people like
2: make the rules. They're like, you just said this. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's a good thing that this is happening And obviously keeping people You know, the sauce on the side for me Is going to be like that shot of whiskey I take Right, guys? My, you know
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly I really think Americans and, and But humans, humans overall But Americans especially right now I mean, give us a loophole We'll jump through it And this apparently is really hearkening back to Um so basically at the very end of the 1890s this when all of the pre-prohibition uh, era rules were ramping up where you had the temperance moving, movement starting to like, you know, become a thing. They were starting to put all of these rules in place that Americans were going nuts over. And so then one of them was basically like to be a reputable place and to keep drunkenness at bay. Every time you ordered a drink, you were given like a small like a toasty like you get those in England or a small mm-hmm. sandwich which A lot of places started doing what this one saloon in New York did, of course, which was called um, the Rain's Law, was this whole food, um, food and, like, good intentions behind drinking act that was being shoved on all these bars. So everyone started serving something called a Rain's sandwich, which was basically, like, a crusty, moldy cheese sandwich that was weeks old, and they would bring it to the tables with the drink and it and would then just then nobody would there. just, like, touch it? No. And then when it, <laughs> Right? And then, like, as long as it hit the table when your drink did, then when someone else's order was up for another drink, they'd come over and yank that fucking dusty-ass sandwich off your table, put it on the tray, and, and so it was like a pass the sandwich, which is also sounds like a really weird sex act. You know, we're going to talk more about this uh, because
2: this is today's topic, but first we should, we should probably get into some uh, server...
1: Submitted Submitted
0: stories. stories.
1: Marine drunk. Hey, girls, I just found your podcast and I'll be binging it. It's great. So I've been bartending in a town connected to the largest Marine Corps base, working in the only Irish pub in town. Every weekend is wall to wall packed and a new shit show. Throw alcohol and all that testosterone, and it's a party. Some of my favorites include, one guy saw his ex out with another Marine. In a fit of rage, he walks outside and punches the floor-to-ceiling plate glass window and punched a hole through it. And in the process, shaved off the underside of his forearm skin and muscle down to the bone. Yes. Thank, thankfully, there was a, a corpsman, a military doctor there had that had been there training for this kind of thing, <laughs> 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 and held his arm together until the ambulance came.
2: My and, time to shine. Just put on the righteous brothers. Yes, That's the navy, but.
1: Like. <laughs> He just has a book that says what happens when glasses punched in his reading. <laughs> um, every six months or so, a group of the Royal British Marines would come into town for training and they would come out and party. One night they were going hard. I'm talking lifting skirts and slapping asses, Jesus. jumping on the bar and refusing to get down until a bartender would kiss him. Oh. Another we thought were struggling fighting. When I went to break it up, I saw one Marine forcibly French kissing the other who was trying to push him away. The kisser backs up laughing hysterically and the victim's eyes were wide and confused as he holds out his hand and starts spitting something hard out into it. Turns out dude number one thought it would be fun to grab a handful of decorative glass stones out of a vase and tongue spit them into his buddy's mouth. They all laughed. And ordered shots. Oh. Hope you guys didn't mind the novel, Godspeed, and good tips, Amy. Oh my God! <laughs> what the fuck? I don't just know. That's so like testosterone,
0: yeah. Adam, uh, like no homo, no homo. Oh man, yeah. I, yeah, I just, I just
2: want to put stones into his mouth. It's funny, right? Like, oh my lord, Amy. Great fucking story. Thank you so much for sending it our way, and thank you so much for binging yeah. and listening.
0: Yeah. Yeah, by the way, if you're new to Sidework Podcast over here uh, on the last podcast network, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi this, Amy, Amy heard the call for server server submitted story. Within like a few days, Senate, guess what? In under a week, she on the air. <laughs> Ooh, look, the system does work. <laughs> the system works, you guys. There's no loophole to get on our podcast. All you have to do is be the one person a week who writes us a letter. Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. There were, there were actually a handful to choose from. Uh, I just kind of like, you know, when we choose, we like to mix them up. So they're maybe not the exact same, you know, scenario. And I don't think we've ever had a Marine punching a plate glass window story. Ouch. So No, but there's one,
1: been tons of stories of lift, skirts being lifted and asses being asses slapped.
0: slapped. It's the name of the game here. Man, I can't wait to get back to that once restaurants are open again. Here we go. Here we go. All the way. Okay, this one starts out Hello lovely ladies, much love from Canada Long ass email incoming, sorry and not sorry Winky face all right. First off, thank you for your podcast I hope you both are staying safe and as sane as possible During this open, not open, shouldn't be open time I feel that I come to you via the last podcast on the left family Where I've been a long time listener So glad you gals decided to do this I've been out of the industry for a few years now And I had forgotten Didn't realize how much I missed the unique seasoning of service Communal bitching As they say, we aren't salty, we're marinated
1: ah, That's it. <coughs>
0: All right, so she goes on. I worked for a while at what can be easily classified as over hu- overpriced hyped fast food. AKA, I sold salad and smoothies for entirely too much money. My main location was in a food court inside a mall. The owner thought the best way to attract customers was to be clean and healthy, so our place sat in the middle of the food court like a fishbowl, all glass and LED lights. Yes, ladies, this includes the dishwater. You could buy a salad from me and enjoy eating it while staring directly into the eyes of our poor dishwasher as he disappeared behind the piles of lunch rush plates and mixing bowls. Mm. Oh, man, we had constant complaints about our messy dishwasher. Wow, way to take it out on the dish pig, you, oh, God. Who had a three, three foot by three foot space in which to do all the dishes by hand. Oh, my God. I have, a, I have a lot of stories we can all relate to from wasting valuable time in a line during the lunch shift, arguing with a customer with the lactose intolerance regarding how mayo has no milk in it. Yes, hello, everyone. It's eggs and oil. Okay. To sneaking leftover smoothie with my shift mates because we never got a break. To getting yelled at by the trash crew for not recycling properly. To the time they installed a camera pointed directly at the chicken weighing station, which also happened to be crotch level. <laughs> what is going what is this place <laughs> what i i'm like picturing it but not you know? yeah I'm like, same
2: i kind of i'm lost but i'm listening you know okay
0: <laughs> but she is canadian so i don't know this might not be a chain here okay let me share okay but she starts again but but more than anything let me share with you the small joy of the day i quit as I mentioned above, I worked at a fancy fast food salad joint The best Combination of Karen's owned, managed, and consumed here One day I was busy flipping for lunch After having spent six hours staring at the smoked salmon Going bad in the breakfast line Since my boss insisted we open at 5 a.m. on a Saturday Inside a mall that didn't open until 10 oh What the fuck You know what drunks stumbling home Don't want a Waldorf salad for $20 to go <laughs> Good call Anyway, I wanted to smoke so bad after hearing the new girl tell me for the millionth time how she wanted to be as nice as me to customers. Thanks. As my boss comes in late again and says, where are you going? Take that order down. And when you come back, jump on cash, meaning roll the catering cart down the street, four busy downtown blocks to the other location and hoof it back in time while everyone is on lunch. I started to say, of course, right after my break, when my manager whispered to me, I told you breaks don't work like that in the service industry. So I asked to have a private word with the boss. We had a casual conversation. I timed it with intent. I could feel the lines getting longer inside. It was 12.30 p.m., peak business lunchtime. People drop $70 on fast food lunch here on the daily and do not like to be kept waiting. She's going on and on about we are family and hard work and quote-unquote standards. Then I said, so, I'm leaving. She smiled, all managerial understanding, and take the afternoon, you look tired. Then she looked down and her mouth opened a bit. No words at first. I smiled as she realized my uniform was neatly folded on my lap. Wait, you're quitting like right now? And she said, Yes, good luck with lunch. Two people already called in, and that order's been sitting there for an hour. Placed my uniform on her desk, hugged my shift face goodbye, and left to the sounds of their giggles of realization. <laughs> Good girl. I walked out, never to set foot in there again. A year later, the location closed. (laughs) I don't understand why. Something or other about a dishwasher less than four feet from the sandwich station and cross-contamination. Who knows? Who could have guessed? So she wraps up saying, today I no longer work in the industry. I miss it and I don't. Yesterday I was able to go out for the first time in a long time. Uh, She says I was COVID positive in March and have long-term effects. Ooh, that's so... Yeah, they're terming... um, people who are suffering from what you're suffering as long haulers, you know? Anyways, I got coffee and food just to see the faces of my old haunts. Great tips for all naturally. You guys, every listener, And you beloved creators of this podcast, stay strong. Wow, this gets really inspirational. You are all so beautiful. Even in our bitchiest, smeared makeup, 11-hour shift, hungover, bad days. We often forget how we get Karens, but sometimes we are the only people someone has seen or spoken to in forever. Sometimes we bring the vitamins they need. Even if it's just a half-hearted smile (laughs) What a sweetheart Godspeed, good luck, good tips, much love And amazing customers to all our service family V
1: Oh my god, that's a great story She's gonna be Prime Minister of Canada one day
0: (laughs) I know
2: Well, God, you guys, like we said before, if you have a story you want to send our way, whether you're a new listener, whether you've been listening forever and have always wanted to send us a story but never have,
0: please shoot it our way. Brooke, where can they send those stories? You can email us, sideworkpod at gmail.com or drop it in our DMs. Um, I did see a few come through the DMs and we will absolutely be adding them to our docket.
2: Okay guys, so diving in topic of the day. We're diving into cocktail culture today and specifically, you know, we were going to talk about just kind of like speakeasies and and jazz clubs, but like the more research you do and that I have done, we there's so much to talk about. So I mean,
0: the history of drinking in this on this planet really Is just so multifaceted And it it You just think you can wrap it up In like a quick neat little forty no. minute package And now we're like We've got like a ten-parter <laughs> So what we're going to talk about today Specifically is Post-Civil
2: War um, To Prohibition To the end of Prohibition That's kind of where we're going to get going today With cocktail culture So basically Post-Civil War after kind of like the Wild West settlement Bars really stepped up their game Cities got bigger People were getting rich Because of the gold rush um, Like kind of gone were the days of saloons And all these Wild West vibes So bartenders really stepped up their game And bartending started to become an art form um, You know you This is where you see bartenders kind of dressing fancy. You see like those handlebar mustache with like the middle part, slick back hair. You know, that's where this is is kind of going. Um, And this is when they started following and inventing drink recipes. The first bartender's guide was actually penned in uh, 1862. And this was known
0: as the golden age of cocktails, which I did not know. I did not know either that's Just also you know as I learned Too just from some earlier history Just behind liquor becoming More of a thing too is is um, Basically a lot of different countries Were looking at ways to market Their grains and mm-hmm. turn it into alcohol For higher profit yeah. so because yep. It was just normal everywhere to just Have a pint of beer and it was such a lower Percentage alcohol totally <laughs> cider Was the yep. same yep. way
2: you know yep. it was like mm-hmm. Basically you'd have like your like your family barrel Of like cider or beer and that's kind of what you would Drink at your house But yes As uh, Agriculture took Hold of the country It's like What else to do With all this corn And this rye But like Make hard liquor Right
0: Yes <laughs> know, there's Nothing else to do
2: Nothing else to do So this is where We're seeing um, Cocktails like the Martini The old fashioned The Manhattan uh, The um, Daiquiri Is a really big one mm-hmm. Because right now In time Like Havana Cuba is huge Havana is known as Like the Paris of the Caribbean it's fucking hot Mm. place to be and think like mark twain like sipping on juleps like that kind of era that's Um, sexy that's yeah it's pretty sexy um so other things that are happening right now because it's the time it is of course it's hard to be a person of color and be a fucking bartender so a uh, conglomerate of awesome black bartenders formed a group called the colored mixologist club and that was established in 1898 so this was a professional And social group of respected black Bartenders in DC and its members Included black proprietors of restaurants And hotels as well of those As well as those who were not permitted to be in White bars Um, So we talked about this and we talked about This on the episode of discrimination Brooke Is that like post-civil war Emancipation the only Jobs that like former enslaved People could get is fucking bartenders Servers right Mm Mm-hmm. So tip, tip based, tip based jobs or like we said, shop exactly, exactly. So founding members included some of the most famous bartenders at the time, um, working at white establishments, and this was a super hot job to have because um, if you were amazing at your job, you could easily climb the ladder of social and financial success. So this is huge for black bartenders at the time because some of them were still fucking enslaved. Okay. So, this one guy named Job Dabney, who was born into slavery, he bartended this place called the Ballard House. I know his name. Uh huh. Yeah. He bartended with another black bartender named Jim Cook, and they were fucking renowned for their mint juleps, okay? So, here's a description of these juleps, you guys. So, uh, James, read this in a Southern accent.
1: The mint juleps that Dabney and Cook presented were visual masterpieces. One account describes a giant multi-serving silver cup topped with a one-foot-tall pyramid of ice, ice ice-encrusted sides in a cornucopia of fruits sticking to the ice in stunning artistic design.
0: Wow, it sounds like a like an alcoholic edible arrangement. Yeah, anytime cornucopia <laughs> is
1: used, you know it's good.
2: So, you guys, with the wealth that John Dabney accrued from this job, he bought his fucking freedom for him and his wife.
0: Boom that's, goes
2: a fucking dynamite.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. And I mean, and the thing is. You're giving people what they want. This is everyone was just—it was cocktail craze for everyone oh, who was yeah. hip and in the know, and totally and their family.
2: Yeah, so it was—it was this time of money coming in. People like dressing fancy, intellectuals hanging out in bars. You know,
1: it's also a period of time where you know, I mean, I would I would imagine in the eighteen hundreds. You know, I like the taste of bourbon and some people do, but it's not for everybody. So this is probably a time where, oh, wow, there's like a sweet, delicious, alcoholic thing going on now. It probably Mm -hmm. opened up the doors to so many other people that were never even a part of the culture. Ah.
2: White men, <laughs> mainly. I like, think women really weren't allowed to drink like publicly. Yeah. They could like sip on sherry or maybe like drink a little glass of wine, but it's still a time where there's fucking snugs or the thing. Women are like shuffled off into their own little room we or had to, like, like corner. We had to
0: hide in like little upstairs ice cream parlors and yeah. just sit around and have tea and pretend like we were having fun. Yeah. So
2: this is building us to um, a temperance movement Okay So temperance movement Think of like a lot of white Christian ladies Wanting you to abstain from the drink And you think they're buzzkills But a lot of them are coming from places Because we have uh, all these new hard liquors That are being produced Men instead of just being like I'll have a couple beers They're turning into raging fucking alcoholics No and
0: and the temperance movement absolutely as I mean I think as we all know it comes from the fact that you know women were forced to stay at home as is and yeah their husband and their kids are being beaten Mm -hmm. right they're they're absolutely shit-faced hubbies are coming home and wreaking havoc and they may have gone out at some point to earn a wage for the whole family for the day and blew it On a cornucopia (laughs) Of a mint julep A a pyramid of crushed ice It's true Everyone's (laughs) like We're each gonna have our own I'll have the flaming (laughs) tower There's one for myself You know can we pause for a minute And go back to the NPR article Talking about the um The bartender is a white dude, Jerry Thomas And his Mm -hmm. signature drink The blue blazer He would light it He would light it on fire And pass it back and forth From glass to glass And making a blazing fireball arch As he kept moving it To and from each cup I'm like, come on I I want those kind of theatrics Oh yeah, oh yeah He was the
1: world's first flare bartender
0: Totally,
2: absolutely The, The original flaming mo, if you will (laughs) <laughs> Getting more into the temperance movement So 1917 the 18th amendment was drafted And that states uh, No making sale, or transportation Of intoxicating liquors So then it passes legislation It's approved by most states And by 1920 the Volstead Act is passed mm-hmm. And that's what enforces prohibition And right. that's when we're singing like all those old black and white photos of, like, cops, like, spilling booze into the streets and, like, going down the sewers. Like, you know, that's where we, you know,
1: we're seeing shutting down of bars, breweries, distilleries, all that stuff. We're also seeing all of those fascinating and interesting ways that people are sneaking liquor places now because it's illegal. There oh, was yeah. This, there was this picture I saw of this this guy who made a lumber truck that looked like a bunch of logs. <laughs> but it actually had a secret door in it, and all of the logs were hollow, and it was just full of barrels of booze. But wow. driving, but d- driving down the street, it looked like he was hauling logs from place to place.
0: <laughs> See, this is the kind of long hauler you want to be, not yeah, someone, totally, not someone with three months of COVID symptoms.
2: Oh my god! So this shit lasted for thirteen years, you guys. So of
0: course. Everybody had to adapt. I wanted to mention for anyone who doesn't really know a lot of history behind Prohibition and what like a wild, wild chapter in American history this is. Um, have you guys seen the Ken Burns documentary on um, yeah. Prohibition? It's so good. I mean, I think episode one is called "A Nation of Drunkards." <laughs> <You're> just <laughs> like wow, wow, wow. I just love this era And as you know For the reason that Because when Prohibition passed Then there were No laws And that means Women were like Fuck you I'm drinking now Bitches Well here's the thing Too You know Women
2: were doing that Because women did get Into the whole Rebellious Like the physical Constrictions Of the Mm -hmm. Victorian era I'm talking Fucking corsets I'm talking 13 inch wasteds Like The freedom to like not wear a bra and a fucking like flapper dress And cut your hair short and have no restrictions right As a rebellion as a woman And here's the thing too that's like ironic So women really helped push the temperance movement Then led to a prohibition And then a year later they got the vote Like suffrage is happening at the same time as all of this So you have that happening with women like fighting for rights to vote. And then you have this huge rebellion movement of women like going underground to all the speakeasies, which we're gonna get into. So it's 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 amazing because it's like this, it's this really big first women's movement happening in the country. Because along with the right to vote, we also have World War One. So women are taking jobs because men are fucking gone, you know? Like, so it's it's really fascinating. Like all of it's I'm I'm kind of... My eyes are wide open because I'm so amped about this episode. (laughs) So here we are. We're in Prohibition. So this has a damning effect on the cocktail culture. And many bartenders leave the country. Like, thousands of them specifically go to Cuba. Because Cuba is a fucking fantasy island. Like, you can do whatever. Americans basically go and, like, take the shit over. So in Cuba, obviously, we know it's, like, super close to Miami... Um, again, the Paris of the Caribbean is what it's called, and so you basically have these this huge population growing because you have thousands of bartenders staying there. People who are getting into the business of making alcohol in Cuba then can then transport it pretty easily and secretly back to the U.S. You have um, airfields going from Chicago and Cleveland and like all parts of Ohio going directly into there every day. Also, in 1921, newspaper reported and it said that a dozen out of work bartenders we're leaving chicago a day alone to like
0: Whoa. go to cuba to work. That's Isn't that like not so. Why why ugh, why didn't we do that you, guys? Why didn't we all leave our jobs? We were out of work plenty of times in chicago. Had we known we could have <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can go to cuba at that point. No, no, no. You it know, was kind of
2: all done by then. Yeah. Um, now I know. So it was so it saturated by American bartenders that the Cuban bartenders, they began to uh, clap back, if you will. Sure. Um, and they started a thing called the Cantoneros Club, and they began to play a more active role in reclaiming Cuba's bars for themselves. Um, so basically, in order to be in that club... You had to go through a whole like Bartenders Association, um, so you had to be able to speak English, um, and you had to be proficient in making cocktails and service according to different levels of the organizations. So there was an apprentice level, which was called a journeyman level, where the bartender had to demonstrate they could remember how to make a hundred cocktails, and then there's wow. a cantonero level, which required them to commit to two hundred drinks to memory and demonstrate their ability at national competitions. So we're seeing stuff that's like obviously completely influencing where we're at today with cocktail culture.
0: Well, right. And just the fact that, you know, we're it's like 100 years later and it kind of came back because it certainly died out, you know, after we. We're kind of returning to, you know, post uh World War One, you know, going into World War Two. Oh no, this is World War One still happening. It just a lot of that excess and um I don't know. It, it's just America returns to like a lot simpler versions of drinking. And also it just, you know. It, it just wasn't the craze like it was because again, with the newness becomes comes all the innovation. And then I feel like you know, which we'll talk about in a different episode, but younger generations, ours included, you know, we, we're indulgent and the the standard is never enough for us. and we really opened the door back to being like we want flavor, originality, we want craft, we want artisanal mm-hmm. things. And so it was like a total return to drinking culture of 100 years before. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the can you guys like imagine like the the like
2: the like the feeling of like being bad never felt so good like during <laughs> this time. You know, it's like the fashion is fucking fierce. You can do what you want Everybody knows that there's speakeasies Everybody just fucking is like Yeah, yeah, we know But like we, we're just not gonna do do anything about it Like flying to Havana for the weekend Oh my god, you guys I am turned on by all of this We can tell You're just like rising in your chair over there and- <gasps> So while this is all going on stateside Here we go speakeasies Okay? This shit's all starting um, So speakeasy dates back to It says no later than 1837, when Sydney, Australia referred to uh, sly grog shops as speakeasies.
0: <laughs> it's like, of course, you know, it sounds a little classier than like a slur. Your words joint. Oh yeah, right. for sure. <laughs> um, of course, there are legal
2: taverns and bars like that sold alcohol during prohibition, but they were also called gin joints,
0: which we know, and also blind pigs. See, which okay. There's a place here in Ann Arbor called the Blind Pig, and I never know why. Yeah, there's
2: lots of places called
0: Blind Pig. I know,
2: right? There's Um, also
1: one of my favorite beer varieties is called Blind blind Pig. pig. Yeah, yeah.
2: Also, if James would have been a dishwasher in one of these places, he would have been a blind blind dish dish pig. pig.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I'm glad I wouldn't do it in a glass case like that one lady's letter.
2: Oh yeah, you had you would have done it in like in like. Uh, Something that would have like turned into like a Gumball machine it would have been like you and your Dish pit and then like the cops come and you hit a Button and it turns around and it's something else (laughs) (laughs) So whilst Havana's like thriving with cocktail Culture stateside everything kind of Languished like everything kind of stayed The same um because (laughs) Everybody Had to make poisonous Alcohol to get fucked up Yeah
1: Dude that now, that is actually something I've done some reading about, uh, the whole moonshine culture and the fact that, like, actual human, like, there was this thing called Jake Leg that came from... Oh, um, yeah. People, oh, yeah. Pe- I have that here. Pe- people went blind, like, like, it was <laughs> like crazy because... Jake Leg paralyzed you,
2: specifically.
1: Yeah. And there's yeah. like okay, so, a song so,
2: there's like old songs That are like oh don't don't Hang out with Ned or hang out with Hector just don't hang out with Jake Or he'll
0: take your leg like these Are the songs I need a little backup from both Of you and a little description of, of Like is this an ingredient a term For what happened to you are you Saying yeah leg like the name Jake And then a leg
1: I, mm. I actually Andrea could probably put the finer points On this I don't know the actual Um Uh, where where it was located, but I know that there was a batch of alcohol that was responsible for like maiming at least a hundred thousand people during this time. Um, and, uh, it, it was sort of an epidemic. Now people in, it's interesting because at this time people in the South had sort of Perfected it So it wasn't Happening as much Or as widespread There But when Northerners Tried to To do this That's when it Really started Hurting people
0: Right I mean, They were like We put fentanyl
2: In it by accident Huh
1: Exactly So yeah
2: In 1930 There was a pair Of Boston men uh, They concocted An illegal and toxic alcoholic, alcoholic beverage And they called it Ginger Jake and that yes. tripled 100,000 people And then there was also like um, Wood alcohol put into Like whiskey quote unquote um, Which is essentially just like Cleaning products and people would go blind with that
0: Well yeah because I When I was like reading about the um, The British like um, Basically in the late 1700s When they uh, developed Gin and how everyone went like Gin Stark, raving mad. They were cutting and mixing it all the time. Very commonly, um, with turpentine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just oh, anything God, yeah. you could put in there to poison yourself and get a buzz. And they'd, they'd give it cutesy names like rot gut, like you know, know, because because
2: of what it did to your internal organs. I know. Or
0: just like, did the term like delirium tremens come from this area of drinking? Oh God! Or is I that don't older? know. Yeah. Can
1: you imagine, though, being like really wanting a drink at the end of the day and just being like, can you get me that one that paralyzes me? That sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. I've had the shittiest day. I want the one that makes my <laughs> legs die. Yum, 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 yum.
2: But the term uh, bathtub gin was because they'd concoct, they'd like, they'd, they would cook up in stills these like 200 proof batches. Of fucking crazy poisonous shit. And then they'd have the bottles and they'd have to cut it with water. And the bottles bottle size wouldn't fit under their kitchen spigot. So they'd have to do it in their tub. Hence uh-huh. bathtub chip. Okay.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Now and at like- this point, you know, like I was you know you may not know the answer to this. I'm just wondering out loud what because prohibition happened. Was this something specifically that former really talented bartenders turned to the manufacturing of alcohol themselves? I think it was the bootlegger specifically, but it was
2: definitely more of the bartender's job to like cover up the taste with right. delicious things. Uh, okay, right?
0: great. So we'll, we'll okay, we'll get into how they return. Yeah. Um, so you just know. got like
2: drinks like um the bees' knees is one, right? That sounds like pretty raw and is where it's just basically like you add like honey and sugar. There's more of a Mm-hmm. A cocktail like uh being invented specifically to cover up taste of shitty alcohol more than anything. Like if there's one called the white, the white woman is the name
1: of
0: <laughs> nice.
1: It's right. also what one interesting byproduct of this period, too. It is a time that I mean uh infusing started. So people would just take like um handfuls of of mints and herbs, and throw it into the poison, and mm-hmm. hope, and hope that it would taste better. Well, that's it, how Malort was born. I'm sure. Exactly, and it di- <laughs> it did taste better. It was still poison But it it tasted better But you know slowly they're like Well let's not make poison But let's still keep throwing those herbs In there to make different varietals And different like perfumes Of of liquor
2: Yeah and I'm sure that there were definitely um, Spots like speakeasies speakeasies That were probably making their own shit Because there was basically like um, Gangs like in the little Italy section Of Chicago would supply uh, Families with one gallon Copper, like alley cookers, is what they call them. Oh, wow. So they would basically employ all of these families with the still, with the corn, with the yeast, and then they'd make their booze and then they'd pay them really well for it. And then they'd go around and sell that and make even more. It, it's kind of crazy that, like, all these operations that just
0: popped up everywhere, you know? Well, because, you know, uh, the government, just in general, <laughs> This is where they always go wrong with people and alcohol is like, they're like, we're going to make it so that you won't even want to drink. But, you know, we're going to take it away from you. Right. And when you take something away from people, it just business springs up Everywhere the demand skyrockets. And now you've basically turned every family into America into a booze manufacturer and they're making money off the thing that's not allowed anymore. Well, here here we go with loopholes, right? Right. You can make you
2: can make your own wine for communion. You can like families could like make their own wine. So then you have like all these families saying that they have their own church and like making huge barrels of wine because it's 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 a godly thing to do.
1: It's also an interesting time in America because at this point, while prohibition is going on, excuse me, you can still go to the pharmacist and say, I have a headache. Can I have some heroin, please? Well, they
2: also prescribed whiskey. Whiskey was a prescription from doctors. They'd be like, oh, do you have a sore throat? Here's a pint of whiskey. And I think you were allowed to get up to like 10 a month. You could get 10 pints of whiskey a month. By Absolutely,
0: a and I mean the, the pain relief back in that day was cocaine, mm-hmm. cocaine mm-hmm. and everything. Co- you just drank it out of little vials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, just put friend. it. Uh, go to the old and Put cocaine in the kids' uh, drinks. That's how they'll get high. <laughs> Amazing. I would. I would have been dead back then. Let's just be honest
1: so they would have it. they would have burned you both as witches way before any of this. oh yeah I you
2: know what I I'm pretty sure I've been burned several times and just come back to life uh. <laughs> <laughs> um so organized crime which we'll talk on touch on you know but obviously they seize the opportunity to like exploit and like a new a lucrative new Crime racket with speakeasies and clubs, and that's where you like have Al Capone leading shit. That's where you get places like the Cotton Club. Um, That's where we get jazz, right? All the fucking awesome jazz clubs with dance halls and just the age of jazz. Again, you guys, I'm getting so horny talking about this. I just want, <laughs> I just want to like make out with someone in a tux and drink a bunch of shitty poison. <laughs>
1: Time, and I don't know if this is by and large, but I know that there was lots of African-American clubs and um, different types of like night spots because people were like, well, we can't deny jazz. It's fucking brilliance on earth. So, right. you know, the the community, I mean, by no means in a great way, it becomes a little more integrated in that sense. <sighs>
2: I think it's really like touch and go From what I read There's still a huge amount of racial segregation While oh, like yeah. Yeah. white men and women Can now like commingle in public Which has never been done before Take a place like the Cotton Club Which is like the most, One of the most famous speakeasies right In Harlem Fucking Harlem right Um Log. Super racist Depicting mm-hmm. like Any person of color Like dressed in like Jungle or Mammy gear, Basically yeah. um, Any chorus girls Of color they had Had to have a very Specific look Like that Josephine Baker Like light skin Tall Beautiful But yet They got the Hottest Like Jazz musicians Of the time Like Cab Calloway Bessie Smith Louis Armstrong Duke Ellington Like so it's all fucked up still, you know well,
0: And what's really cool, and you know, obviously We can go into this as we, you know Keep exploring and talking about this topic But a lot of the cool stuff I found Was about LA's black jazz and club scene That were speakeasies all the way It was a 30 year time span um, On the west coast Where we live And it's like phenomenally Famous places where few still have their doors open And like, I really hope they survive You know uh, the pandemic we're going through Because like once you know operations Are up and running again I didn't know About a lot of the history Behind these and I'd love To go see some live music and support A black owned business You know in in Los Angeles It's just and so what you're talking about With a lot of the speakeasy where it was Integrated men and women You know but racism was still rampant There Mm -hmm. were definitely it was like You held a different kind of standard For the hot musician, you know, if they were a person of color, they got different passes. But overall, America was still horrifyingly racist, and oh, yeah. that had to have been just such a mind fuck to navigate as mm-hmm. you know a black person getting like a pass, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why the development of basically black only uh, under the radar, amazing clubs with drinking, dancing just and all the jazz musicians like they like some of the most famous people you know would basically have new and interested musicians could just come watch them for free and then they'd get a chance to sit in and see if they could hang with the big boys you know and I I just again this whole side of it too is I'm like this just sounds so just connected and amazing and thriving and full of energy and idea and brilliance and art and you know. But oh yeah, yeah. LA's, LA's got a really really rad West Coast story to it too.
1: Also, one of the cool things about these clubs that have been around since the 20s and 30s that are still here, I mean there's not many, but the ones that are oftentimes still have like little secret uh Like underground tunnels and stuff That are still a part of them That they don't necessarily use for This is just sort of like another Like I know the Green Mill in Chicago And I don't even know if this is true But it was always rumored that there was um, Little tunnels underneath So they could get yeah get the alcohol out of there really quick If they needed uh, yeah, to
2: I, I think that's totally true And I, I think a lot of people got so elaborate That like they would have whole systems That if the cops come They would basically have like a lever That they would switch And it would like It would like send all the booze Like into those tunnels Just to get rid of them It was fucking Kind of amazing They'd
1: pull a lever And it'd go from a bar Right into a porn store So where right. everything Where everything was legal
2: Right it was like a, It's like a bank A bank shoot basically <laughs> um, This is also the birth Of the jukebox you guys So juke joints Right Oh yes Love. This is where phona Like the phonograph Was like Coin operated Like in an arcade Fucking awesome um, Just a couple quick things This is really fun So just a, like A fun like staff Like people who actually Worked at these places There's this woman um, The queen of the nightclubs And her name was Texas uh, G- Gweenan um, she was an actress And she basically was hired To basically put on uh, Shows and be a singer So she helped to uh, Start and she emceed the Zigfield Follies which is huge So kind of like the underground like vaudeville scene Going on in all these clubs Huge shows with showgirls um, But she <laughs> went to go work At the Elray Club in Manhattan And she became known For the catchphrase Hello
0: sucker <laughs> Come on in and leave your wallet on the ball dude. That this sounds like our friend Nicole, who sent in all the all the stories from the unnamed Chicago bar. Yeah, where her, where her regulars were so rowdy, she'd be like, "Come on in, sucker! Just give me a I couple hundreds." Like, Have you met our
2: manager? And she'd be like, "Hi, hey, sucker!" I mean, these guys made fucking so much money, and then Larry Faye, Faye who was the owner of this uh, El Faye Club he was shot and killed by a doorman after it was announced that he was cutting the staff's wages Whoopsies. which i think is just kind of i mean obviously you nobody should shoot anybody ever but i was just like oh boy shit was n- not cool back then that's how your staff would react when they heard about stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um just wrapping up so 1929 Nine years after the 18th Amendment took hold, shit was getting, like, bleak. Organized crime was deeply rooted. um, And, like, in most police departments, they were being paid off and looking the other way. And there was, like, huge major bouts of public violence, um, specifically the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago, which we all have heard about, where Al Capone lined up seven members of his rival gang and just gunned them down in public. Fun, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you try to come and get me, copper? This led to basically a lot of people um, who were prohibition initially to kind of change their tune and be like, uh, did we do bad? (laughs) (laughs) Should we not have done this? It really has really fucked everything up in a in a big way. (laughs) Um, Add on the end of World War One that was just basically like, oh, the war is over. Let's fucking have fun already. You know, legally. Legally so that, that's that instigated the repeal of Prohibition. And then by 1933, the 21st Amendment was passed, which repealed Prohibition. But that gave the decision-making power
0: to the states, which is why we still have like dry counties everywhere. Right. In Pennsylvania, do not do not have a stopover mm-hmm. in a dry county in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I like did not understand where I was. I just wanted to uh you know rent rent a hotel room as I was driving back to Michigan. I was like, I'm I'm sorry, what now? I I can't get a drink anywhere now? What what have you? Yeah. It is weird laws. It's very strange. Oklahoma
2: didn't ratify prohibition until nineteen fifty seven, and Mississippi followed, being the last one in
1: nineteen sixty six. I know but- I I know in uh my home state of Nebraska And I think it's still this way You can't buy liquor before noon On a Sunday mm-hmm. right. um, And I'm sure that's a whole I mean that's a whole church thing I'm sure but No it
2: is because again There's so much Christian influence in this And this also gave way to like those ABC laws right? Making um, bars more into social clubs Where you have to have a membership And pay dues in order to get in And yeah all this shit totally still exists today it's ever changing, but it is there.
0: And here we are, you know. Here you know, we are in a quarantine, all getting real creative. Yeah. Uh, bars I'm, are closed again, but by I'm a like pandemic, where's the speakeasies? Are there speakeasies? Probably, probably. That's actually
1: that's yeah. I bet there are. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, they're called they're called super spreader events. <laughs> but um,
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, I'm so nostalgic for for cocktail right now. Just
0: to have some I'm like yeah I'll, I would love to pay $20 for a cocktail Right now Thanks guys Like, <laughs> I know I know And I've, I've been drinking Like it is like You know Prohibition My mom and dad Were like Is it normal To go through A fifth of tequila In only a few days And I was sure. just like Well yeah We're on vacation <laughs> I mean it was Several days But because my mom Doesn't drink liquor She's like Aren't drinks supposed to be one ounce I'm like not a good drink (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about It's true our pores are getting heavier in quarantine Go easy on that drink That wraps up a pretty good run Don't you guys think There's a reason this type of drinking And bartending came back Because it's fucking great
2: It's great It really is great And you know with part two We're just going to jump We're going to dive deeper into the progression of cocktail culture, um, go like down a tiki road, which should be really fun. We're going to take a tiki turn. Are we going to
0: have a sneaky tiki episode? Oh, a
2: fucking sneaky tiki so hard right now, you guys. Uh,
1: Oh, boy.
0: Jimmer, have you been to, have you and Jasmine gone to Hawaii? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Everywhere you go, they're like, on the cruise, we'll be serving sneaky
1: tiki's. I have pictures of me in Hawaii with some of the largest drinks ever made <laughs> um're yeah we're locking we're talking like tureens of alcohol <laughs> and then I'd turn to my wife and be like are you getting anything and just <laughs> drink the whole thing and then get complete almost get s- s- skin cancer because i'm I'm laying I'm laying drunk in the sun <laughs> Yeah, so that wraps up some cocktail culture history. Super fun. Super fun. It was fascinating to listen to and and talk about. Thanks for having me.
2: Always uh yeah, you guys, uh, again, if you liked what you heard, please like Subscribe Write a review Send us a story Please check out If you haven't already Lastpodcastnetwork.com There's so many other Fun podcasts out there To listen to Brooke what else What am I missing
0: I think we got it all Andrea We'll just be back With some more Cocktail history And culture uh, Next yeah, week Yeah this is and- a good
2: Good good Dog days of summer
0: Cocktail talk know, You know I know I want, I want to go make something But it's me a little too. early My parents <laughs> would judge me Well They'll, they've been judging me Alright eh. so um, James thanks for being our guest We love, we love you. you James A
1: pleasure as always congratulations on the move to last Podcast Network you guys are the Greatest Aww.
2: Thanks, you, are. And you know what we uh you know what we say at the end of every episode, Brooke? Indeed, Godspeed
1: and good tips.
0: You know what we say at the end of every episode? Hello, sucker. Hello, sucker. Hello. Leave your wallet on the bar. Leave your See? wallet on
1: Leave your wallet on the bar, you sucker. Ah, please sign here in case you get paralyzed by our daiquiris. <laughs>